0: You're listening to Quran Thirty for Thirty, the Ramadan podcast that reconnects us with the beautiful words of God, one juz a day, with your hosts Sheikh Omar Suleiman, Sheikh Abdullah Oduro, and a new guest. Let's experience the beauty of the Quran.
1: Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh everyone. So, a couple of nights ago, we had two sheikh Abdullahs, and I was crowded. Tonight, we've got, uh, I guess you could say two sheikh Umar, though I don't know if one of them is really a Shaykh, and by that I mean myself, uh, Shaykh Omar Hussain, uh, not so much. Mm-hmm. But alhamdulillah, we're blessed to have our special guest uh, tonight, Shaykh Umar Hussain and ta'ala as well. And uh, we're gonna go ahead and get into uh, the next juz. And uh, subhanAllah, yesterday, we really focused on the end of uh, Surat Ali Imran, and we didn't get into Surat An-Nisa. Now, if you were taking notes yesterday, last night, we talked about how uh, the end of Ali Imran was uh, revealed right after the Battle of uhut And so it was a lesson to the Prophet Sallallahu and to the believers in particular, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you when you do not break the covenant. And when you break the covenant, then even if you seem to have all of the material things that are necessary to succeed, you still will fall short. So Allah azza wa Jalla drawing the distinction between Badr and Uhud with the believers. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately expressing his forgiveness. Allahu uh, anhum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pardoned those that fled on the day of Uhud. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling the Prophet also to be lenient and to Uh, to to pardon them and forgive them and to move forward as a community to learn that this was a lesson not meant to break the Ummah of Muhammad this was a lesson to wake the Ummah up to get its concepts right so that could power forward and could know that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala supports you Allah has his nasr his support with you then who's going to defeat you and if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is opposed to you if you find yourself on the other side then who is going to support you after that the fourth chapter of the Quran then, Surah Al-Nisa, really makes sense in this context because it was revealed also after Uhud. And if you remember, after Uhud, you had the problem of widows and inheritance and orphans. Okay? So after Uhud, where you where you had over 70 of the greatest companions of the Prophet pass away, you suddenly had a community that was dealing with how to deal with widows after battle, how to deal with inheritance, how to deal with the issues that arose out of that. And so the first 28 verses of Surah An-Nisa uh, deal a lot with that, with the aftermath of the Battle of Uhud and Allah Azza wa Jalla talking about the distribution that takes place after Uhud and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala giving us the very detailed laws of inheritance. And this is also, by the way, the one verse in the Qur'an about polygamy that came in the, of course, not restricting it to after war, but the context was revealed after uh, the Battle of Uhud where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, uh, give some guidelines for those that want to marry some of the widows that were uh, that were made as such after the Battle of Uhud. So we get into Surah An-Nisa. The first verse of Surah An-Nisa, uh, the first verse of the chapter about women, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala establishes uh, this idea of equity, this idea of equality, not in roles, but equality in salvation and the pursuit of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. أيها okay. So the first verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes that the believing men and the believing women are in this pursuit of Allah Subh'anaHu wa ta'ala, in this pursuit of His mercy. And they are equal in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in their belief, in their salvation, in their pursuit of Allah's good, and in their pursuit of Allah's pleasure. And then we get into um, some of the other verses that come with that. Uh, So you get into just five now, which is verses 24 through 147 uh, of Surah Nisa. And this surah, by the way, uh, is the longest surah in the Quran after Surah Al Baqarah in terms of the numbers of words and letters. And so that's why, for example, you'll find that in the Qiyam of the Prophet وسلم, one of the ahadith that describes his Qiyam, the Prophet وسلم, started off with Al Baqarah, then, then Ali Imran. So technically speaking, it's a lengthier surah uh, than Ali Imran in that sense. Uh, Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala mentions another form of irada, what Allah wants from us. So from verses 26 to 28, You really have a beautiful uh, construction upon what Allah has mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah of what Allah subhanahu wa taala wants for this ummah. In Surah Al-Baqarah, you read Allah bi kumul yust, while you read That Allah subhanahu wa taala desires for you ease. Allah does not desire for you hardship. Here, Allah subhanahu wa taala between these verses of 26 and 28, Allah once again, you read Allah li lakum. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once again عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ وَاللَّهُ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يَتُوبَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَيُرِيدُ So Allah wants to make things clear for you. That's the first verse. The second verse Allah wants to forgive you. So in Allah making guidance clear to you as you ask Him for guidance, and then you ask Allah to make guidance easy for you to be able to apply in your lives, Allah wants to make this easy for you by forgiving you. So the goal of giving you guidance is that you ultimately succeed. Allah does not give you this guidance so that you fail as a nation. Rather, Allah gives it to you so that you're able to succeed. And then in the, in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُخَفِّفَ ankum and Allah wants to make it easy for you on the way. So there are three implications of this. Number one, Allah does not want to be confused. We have an intellectual faith. We use our uh, our pondering on the signs of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and uh, the things that He's given to us to arrive at the conclusion of faith, and the faith makes sense. And then Allah makes things very clear for us. We don't have ambiguity with our faith. It's very detailed what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala calls us to do. And then the second thing. Allah wants you to succeed, okay? Allah wants you to succeed, which is beautiful that the end result of this is success for you because Allah wants to forgive you and accept your repentance. And the third thing, and on the way, Allah is not going to make it unreasonably difficult for you. So you need Allah, Allah will make it easy for you along the way. Remember, we asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we are not burdened with a burden that we cannot handle, okay? So you have concessions built into the guidance and into the law that make this a reasonable faith for you to be able to to follow without you having to feel like you are over uh, you are overburdened. Um, and then I want to go to um, verse forty-one because it's extremely beautiful that if you if you pay attention to Surah Nisa, uh, it really builds beautifully on Surah Ali Imran and Surah Al Baqarah. Uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَكَذَٰلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا شُهَدَاءً عَلَى النَّاسِ We made you the balanced nation so that you could be witnesses upon mankind. وَيَكُونَ رَسُولٌ عَلَيْكُمْ شَهِيدًا And the messenger would be a witness upon you. So the first thing is establish the shahada, the witnessing of the nation of the Prophet upon mankind and the witnessing of the Prophet upon that ummah. And then the second one in Surah Ali Imran, تكون مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَىٰ الْخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَيُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ Let there come, arise amongst you a nation that would enjoin good and for, that would believe and enjoin good and forbid evil. So the call for us to apply the job description of this Ummah, which is the enjoining of good and the forbidding of evil. And then here, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? فَكَيْفَ إِذَا عَجِئْنَا مِن كُل how will it be, O Muhammad Wasallam, when we bring a witness upon every nation and we bring you as a witness upon all of those nations, okay? Jitna bika ala This is verse uh, 41. And the story of this verse, and I don't want to take long, I want to be able to hand it off to Shaykh Abdullah, inshallah, but it's, it's a powerful story where Abdullah ibn Mas'ud عنه, says that the Prophet uh, told me to recite the Qur'an to him. And I said, alayka wa alayka unzil. You want me to recite to you? And it was revealed to you, the Prophet ﷺ said, I love to hear it recited by other than me. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says that I started to read from Surah An-Nisa until I got to this verse. And he said, the Prophet ﷺ put his hand on my, on my thigh and he said, stop. And I looked up and the Prophet ﷺ, his, his eyes were flowing with tears. The water was coming down from his eyes. The tears were flowing from his eyes. He was choked up on tears وسلم, by the thought of being a shaheed, by the thought of being a witness upon all of these ummas, on, on the entirety of mankind. And so, what I want you to think about um, for us, when we hear that Allah has appointed us as shuhada al nas, witnesses upon mankind, how seriously should we take that? And when we read this verse tonight, that the verse that made the Prophet, our beloved one cry, how much more should we cry uh, with that? And I'll end with this, uh, which is really something that's that's powerful as well. Surah An Nisa establishes the right of the Prophet upon the Ummah. If you realize other prophets were mocked by their people and hurt by their people, Surah An Nisa establishes the right of the prophets upon the Ummah. You know, so Allah Azzawajal mentions. Uh, I'm looking for the verse number, inshallah ta'ala, I'll find it. But uh, by your Lord, they do not believe until they make you the judge of all of their affairs, establishing the right of the Prophet. Wa their hearts are brought to ease with it and they submit to it uh, wholeheartedly. Whoever obeys the Messenger has obeyed Allah. And what did Allah tell us in Surah al Imran? Say, if you love uh, Allah, then follow me and Allah will love you back and he will forgive you for your sins. So Allah establishes the right of the Prophet some truly in the legal sense more than anything else and the right of the Messenger over us. In, in this particular chapter because our success as an ummah is uniting upon truth and we know the truth through him and we abide by it as he uh, gave it to us alayhi salatu Salam. so inshallah ta'ala with that i'm going to go ahead and that was verse 65 i was looking for the verse number uh, that was verse uh, 65 okay يؤمنون, that know by your lord they don't believe until they make you O muhammad sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the judge concerning all of their affairs may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from those who do right by our Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and abide fully by the message that he brought to us. Allahumma <laughs> amin. And inshallah ta'ala, I'll hand it over to our dear Shaykh
0: Abdullah. As the Shaykh mentioned earlier uh, that this was at the time of Uhud. So it was at the time of the Medini period when the Muhajirun finally made hijrah to al Medina. And the Prophet, وسلم, Allah within his wisdom and his might and his power and his knowledge would establish the Muslims in this area. As what is interesting is that you find uh, the people in Mecca, the, the Meccans at that time, they were very apparent and open with their disbelief in Allah and his messenger to the degree there was verbal abuse, physical abuse to the Prophet وسلم, and the companions. But what's interesting is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his wisdom, al-hakim, and I want you all to remember this name throughout this uh, conversation that I'm having with you or this speech that I'm giving to you now, is that within Allah's wisdom, the people in Mecca were apparent and open with their disbelief, but the people in Medina were the total opposite Mm. because in al-Medina you had the munafikun, the hypocrites, now, when we think of the word hypocrite, I remember when I first became Muslim, I said hypocrite, okay, someone that says, does what they don't, you know, says what they don't do. Yes, that's, that's the general meaning of the hypocrite, but from the spiritual sense, it is someone that exhibits belief from their actions and their statements, but in their heart is voluntary disbelief to the degree that they do not want to see Islam successful. Rather, they want to see Islam and the Muslims perish. Now, there are many different reasons behind why uh, one would lead to become a munafik or someone would be um, a hypocrite. Within their heart is disbelief and they are exhibiting actions of belief to deceive the Muslims. One of the reasons which I want to touch on now is jealousy. When the Prophet sallam, entered al madina he entered al madina and there were three main tribes and there were uh, two main, uh, three main Jewish tribes and two main Arab tribes, Al-Aws Khazraj. Now, during that time there was a man by the name of Abdullah ibn Ubayy, As-Sulul. Now he was someone that was respected amongst both tribes to the degree as Ibn Kathir says that they wanted to يملكونه, They wanted to make him the Malik. They wanted to make him the leader amongst them both. But when the Prophet sallallahu came in roughly about 2 years after during the battle of Badr where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions and Islam had some izza and some presence as was mentioned, the people at that time were around Abdullah bin Ubay and he was respected and he was loved and he was honored. But all of a sudden, this man comes in, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yani they were busy by this man, the Prophet, to where some of the Jews became Muslim, but many of Al-Aus and Al-Khazraj became Muslim. So automatically, their attention, their respect, their honor shifted from Ibn Abdullah bin Ubay. To Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa sallam, what do you think this brought in the heart of Abdullah ibn Ubay? Jealousy. To the degree that his envy was not apparent. Rather, he plotted and planned and made it hidden and came amongst the Muslims. And that's where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that is the danger of a nifaq of hypocrisy, spiritual hypocrisy. Well, one will voluntarily act as a Muslim or do actions as a Muslim, but in their hearts is total disbelief. And in some instances doubt, but this, in this, in this element, we want to talk about the uh, uh, jealousy that led him to be a hypocrite. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them in the Quran tremendously, numerous times throughout the Quran. But we want to, ca- to capitalize on one verse that's in uh, verse number 145 to 147. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانَ الرَّجِيمِ إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ وَلَن تَجِدَ لَهُمْ نصيرا. Verily, the disbelievers or the hypocrites are in the lowest levels of the fire, and you will not find for them any helper. لَن تَجِدَ لَهُمْ نَصِيرًا لَن is not like لا. لَن means never. You will never find any helper or a for them, one that will assist them. Why? Their level of disbelief is worse than someone that is apparent and in your face saying, I disbelieve in you and I hate your message. No, someone is smiling in your face, like the person that you thought was your friend in middle school. But when you go to high school, they're talking bad about you. They say, I never liked you in front of a whole bunch of people. That person will be more disliked in front of you because they plotted and planned. And that is why Allah says, in the depths of the hellfire. Now, let's be very clear. It's important that every human being understands that there has to be a level of accountability in life. For those of us that have children, for those of us that go to work, that have a position of authority, there has to be a position, an element of accountability, meaning that if you do something good, you're rewarded. And if you do something bad, consciously aware of the situation, you're rewarded as well. So that is when we talk about Allah rewarding those people with that punishment because they did it knowingly knowingly, and they continued on it with a motive. Now that's very important for us to understand because Allah is just, he is al-adl. And al-adl is putting everything in its proper place with wisdom and rahmah. The next verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, إِلَّا tabu wa وَعْتَصَمُوا بِاللَّهِ وَأَخْلَصُوا دِينَهُمْ لِلَّهِ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَسَوْفَ yutillahu اللَّهُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَجَرًا عَظِيمًا SubhanAllah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says The munafiqeen are in the lowest depths of the hellfire But he makes an exception al الغفور The merciful, the all-forgiving الغافر, الغفار He makes an exception says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ تَابُوا Except those that repent From those that had a bad intention they still have an opportunity to come around. Allah still gives them that opportunity as long as they are alive. Tabu, those that repent. And Tawbah means to return, to turn back around, to come back to your fitrah. Tabu wa aslahu, and they rectify themselves. They correct themselves. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wa aslahu billahi wa akhlasu dinahum Then they hold firmly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they are sincere for the sake of Allah. But notice he says, Why did he mention these two things? When he mentioned Oslahu, because these are two signs of islah. These are two signs of rectification, correcting yourself, redemption. Within that process of redemption, scholars mention that they made this clear or they clarified this and added this on, let's say, or got a little more specific because this was particular to the situation of the munafiqin. They needed to make sure that they held firm to the rope of Allah, held firm to the religion, and they were sincere. That is the islah, the correcting of themselves that is important here. When you correct yourself, there's many different elements to it and manifestations of it, but these two are particular to this demographic of the ones that voluntarily had disbelief and plans in their heart, to eradicate Islam and Muslims. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Now they are mu'mineen. They are believers. So seeing that to be, be a believer, you need to have these characteristics. Even we as Muslims right now, inshallah, may Allah keep us on the straight path. I mean, that we have this sincerity by turning back to him and repenting for our sins and correcting ourselves by holding firm to the deen of Islam and also having sincerity. That is what will make us from the mu'minin, insha'Allah ta'ala. Then he says, And he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will sofa. Sofa means he will in the future, and some scholars say for a longer future than se like sofa yutilah mu'minina, ajalun aldima, he will give them their great reward, a great reward because it was a huge step for them. It was a huge step because maybe reputation, things of that nature. But they searched their heart and they came back to the religion of Islam. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends with a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Some scholars would call it a rhetorical question, meaning there's a question asked and you know the answer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Why would God punish you if you are grateful and faithful and God is all appreciative and all knowing? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all appreciative of what you do. And some scholars mention that the word asshakur shakur means that which is duh, meaning that which is apparent or comes out to be more or great. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as they mentioned, they say, al reward, A great reward. From a little action that may be done. And we see this in the Deen of Islam. The little that you do, you'll receive a lot. They called the animal that would eat a little of the organic fruits the ma'loof, the alaf, that which is on the earth, and they roam freely eating from it. If he looks bigger than what he actually ate, what they would expect the size of the animal to be, they would call him a shakur. They would call him shakur, not a shakur, but shakur. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is grateful and thankful for the fact that you turned around. And you notice he called them. So for you may Allah be may in shakartum. It is as though the scholars say they do it iltifat in balago, rhetorical, that uh, rhetoric that he is turning and speaking directly to them now. So it's showing that Allah is grateful for the little things that you do if you were to be those that are thankful and have the belief. And we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is well aware of everything that happens. And in conclusion, this shows. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of your worship. He is not in need of you. Rather, it is when you turn to him for your own self. He is al-ghani. He is self-sufficient. You are not hurting Islam or Muslims by doing any plots or plans. Allah will make this religion successful whether you or anyone like it or not. So it's important for us to remember that even though we see this kiss of the munafiqeen and what they try to do to Aisha radiallahu anna, which we will cover, inshallah, later in the chapter of Anur, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make this religion successful. But you still have an accountability in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how you exhibit yourself being thankful, which is a sign of Iman. Barakallahu <laughs>
1: subhanAllah. <laughs> so again, that was verses, uh, what was it, 135, One thirty-five, 145 to
0: 147.
1: 145 to 147. Exactly. and Subhanallah. It connects because when we said, "What does Allah want from you?" Allah wants to make things clear to you. Allah wants to make thing. Allah wants you to succeed, and Allah wants to make the path to success easy for you with concessions, so that it's not an unreasonable burden. And here you say, you know, by the way, like that question about the coronavirus and things of that sort. Um, you know, uh, you know, when things happen in, in, in the outside, is Allah punishing me? is Allah punishing me? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punish you? Or what does Allah have to do with your punishments when you are grateful and when you turn back to him, right? And so the idea is that if you, while there might be a punishment to some, if you are turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and doing what you're trying to do, then test comes to you. Why would Allah, Allah does not punish you? If Allah wanted to make guidance easy for you, why would Allah make punishment unnecessarily severe for you? So even with the hypocrites, after Allah threatens them with the lowest of hellfire, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens up away from them and says, if they turn around, then they're with the believers and there's no reason, no no pain, no punishment with them. khair. And now we have our beloved uh, Sheikh Omar Hussain, head of instruction at Yaqeen. Uh, take us away, Sheikh
2: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin wa salatu wa salam wa rasulil kareem wa Pleasure to be here Qur'an, teenin, and dinin with my beloved brothers uh, I'm going to talk about uh, verse number 36 uh, 36 from Surah An-Nisa So in this verse so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken about uh, he, the relationship between husband and wife and in this verse he talks about 10 different commands so Allah says, I am going to concentrate on three. And these three are related to neighbors. So I, I busted out my little Mr. Rogers sweater, just to kind of hammer the theme home, but not Mr. Rogers, Mr. Mr. Rashid, inshallah. <laughs> so In this, uh, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts by saying, first he says, the close neighbor. Now, close, what does that mean? Close has various meanings. Close can mean physically close. So like your next door neighbor. Close could be close to you in faith, your Muslim neighbor. Or it could be close to you as in it is one of your family members. Now, it may be unusual for, for us, you know, especially here in Texas, we like our land, but in many parts of the world, families live in the same building. You know, you, you live in the flat, your, your grandfather is above you, your, you know, your mother is down below. So they're literally your neighbors. And if you go out, whether it's your apartment complex or you go in your backyard, that little fence, it's, it's not very uh, heavy protection. I mean, you can kind of see through it if you went up. That's how close the neighbor is. And the neighbors have incredible rights in Islam. So if they are close neighbors, they have these rights. The in, second category mentioned is the uh, the al-Junub, the, 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 the distant neighbor. Now, what does distant mean? Again, distant could mean distant in faith, meaning not your faith, so a, a non-Muslim neighbor. It could mean uh, distant in terms of they are physically far. Now, how far the scholars debate that, some say it's 40 houses, and, you know, there's different sort of opinions on that. But someone that the distance is, is not close to you. But you know what's interesting? When you read the narrations on neighbors, it doesn't say Muslim neighbor. It just says neighbors. And so Allah is saying, whether the neighbor is close, whether the neighbor is far, whether it's your relative, whether it's Muslim, whether it's not Muslim, the neighbors have rights. The neighbors have very, very strong rights, just like the husband and wife have rights. For example, you can't just go out and build something in front of your neighbor's house, right? You ask them. If your neighbor is sick, you visit them. If your neighbor needs financial help, if your na- neighbor uh, has, has uh, you know had a, a tragedy in the family, just to go over and visit them, right? May Allah bless our parents who taught us Islam through action and not through words like we, we try to do. On the neighborhood I grew up on, there were four homes, all non-Muslims. We knew all our neighbors. And I'm talking about no, like, oh, can you come over? Something is broken. Help us fix it. W- why is that? Because instilled in their, in their culture, which was, this is a positive aspect of culture, was the love and respect for the neighbor. Now, then Allah continues to a temporary neighbor. bil jam, Literally, the person to your side. So this could be like your travel buddy. This could be the person you're sitting next to on the airplane. This could be your classmate. This could be the person next to you in the masjid or in the halakha. You know, there's somebody sitting next to you. Can I get you a glass of water? Uh, or you make way. Oh, did you forget your pen? here? You can use mine, right? The temporary neighbor. Uh, not being rude to the person you're standing next to in the masjid. So this is the temporary neighbor. Yet still the Qur'an, subhanAllah, it's so real. Uh, it, it's so practical. Uh, and, and it blends, it has the theory, it has the practice, it has everything. And, you know, there's so many hadith that talk about how intense it is to care for the neighbor. Uh, but one particular one where the Prophet ﷺ says, Mazala Yusini bil Jari hatta This is in Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ said, Jibreel, the angel Jibreel salam, he kept advising me so much about the neighbor that i actually thought that the neighbor would share a portion in inheritance subhanallah who gets inheritance our closest family members but because jibril alaihi salatu was telling the prophet sallallahu alaihi so much about the the rights of the neighbor the prophet sallallahu actually thought that they may uh, have a share in the inheritance because their rights are so uh, so heavy And I'll tell you, with all the nonsense people watch on the news, with all the false information that they may get about Islam, that one-on-one relationship will destroy all of that. And we can really build that with our neighbors. Um, When I moved into the place I'm in now, you know, and, you know, you review and it's a reminder and you read read this hadith, like, this is intense, right? And then, of course, you're thinking like, oh, yeah, you know. now, I remember what our parents used to tell us to be good to our neighbors. And so I went and I gave some sweets to the neighbor across the street. Now, the next week he comes and he rings the doorbell and uh, he has a little gift for me. But this is where it got a little bit awkward because he gave me a bottle of wine. <laughs> and I said, you know, that's, that's very considerate of you, but, you know, I, I don't drink alcohol, you know, I think, you know, for religious reasons or whatever. And so he said, he said, oh well, you know, Okay, well, maybe, you know, you can just give it to somebody. So anyway, just so the viewers don't, don't get upset, I did dispose of it, right? <laughs> but the, the, the point is that now that connection is made, right? So now when you drive by and he's outside, you give the little wave. Let's be honest, we're busy. We don't spend as much time with our neighbors, right, in our, in our day-to-day lives. But that relationship has been established that somebody named Omar or Ahmed or Aisha just took two minutes out of their day to go and just say hello. And that is such a powerful connection, which which no lies or anything that they're going to hear is going to be able to destroy. So uh, is just a beautiful verse. And there's so many other things which are mentioned um, for, for rights of others as well. But these three kind of fit together. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from amongst those uh, who love thy neighbor. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to fulfill their rights.
1: I mean, subhanallah, Shaykh. One thing, by the way. You know, the, the two verses before that, 434, which is called the verse of abuse, and Muslim, we call it the abused verse because of how it's used, uh, you know, to, to suggest that Islam uh, allows for people to be violent towards their spouses and, um, you know, and, and, and uh, causes all sorts of harm within the home. One reflection I just had as you were speaking was, subhanAllah, if Allah Azza wa Jal, two ayat later, has these 10 categories. And it is is even including the person you might just be walking by in the street one day or a neighbor that's far away. How do you reconcile that with those who are closest to you are most deserving of your good behavior. So how much more should that actually affirm the the mercy that should be in the home with not your neighbor next door, not your neighbor that's far away, not the person walking next to you for a moment, but the person who literally sleeps next to you, right? Like the person that's in your house. How much more ihsan and excellence should you have towards them and so uh you know we didn't get a chance to talk about that verse um we have a paper at yaqeen on that that you can go and you can read inshallah to get the uh the, the breakdown of that because this is and just talking about the reflections but that that was something that just stood out to me as you were speaking like look at the mercy of allah in how he apportioned the rights to all these people around what then of the people next to us and it's in the same set of verses verse 34 verse 36 so surely we can't have a cognitive dissonance and say we're going to treat people in our home horribly but then when i'm walking next to someone on the street or sitting next to someone on a plane i'm going to treat them uh, well so that's that's something to think about i got one question for you then i'm going to send everyone off when you disposed of the alcohol did you shout allahu akbar uh
2: I did not. I actually. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Come on, Omar.
2: I, I drove it to a to a dumpster. I didn't even put it in my own, <laughs> own trash. It
0: was like I long long
2: but just on your point, just five seconds. Um, that's so true. You know, who cares if your students love you, your community loves you, your coworkers love you? If if that love isn't in the home, it 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 really is all for naught. It means absolutely nothing. On that point. That's and
1: it's a sign of hypocrisy, right? That's one of the things that Sheikh Abdullah was just talking about. That is a sign of hypocrisy, outward beauty, inward ugliness. And that's true also with inward ugliness in the home and outward beauty outside of the home is, is a great sign of hypocrisy. So Allah protect us. Uh, great session, guys. I appreciate you. Uh, both inshallah ta'ala to the viewers Uh, we're just at 35 minutes keep us in your du'a share your jams if you can tweet your jams with the hashtag quran 30 for 30 let's start collecting jams i've been seeing people sending in their notebooks and things of that sort mashallah so tweet tweet your jams quran 30 for 30 and uh you can't just keep tweeting about uh Omar hussein uh, breaking a bottle of wine at a dumpster, and people walking by and saying, Why is this guy breaking a bottle of wine over a dumpster? and shouting, Allahu Akbar. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, please do tweet your gems, inshallah. And we'll see you all tomorrow night, inshallah. And just want to remind you all to keep up with all the content. And if you are inclined, inshallah, to support Yaqeen Institute uh, with a donation, inshallah, ta'ala, or any of the other great uh, institutes and works that work that's out there. JazakAllahu Khairam. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
0: This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in tomorrow for the next episode and subscribe to this series. If you like this episode, you'll love our other content. Visit yaqeeninstitute.org or download our app from the App Store. Until next time, this has been Quran 30 for 30.